Our lives tell a story that's sometimes beautiful, sometimes heartbreaking, but is always infused with the work of God. Even if we don't realize it, our stories have the fingerprints of God all over them. Another thing we don't often realize is that our stories are all connected. Every one of us has points of intersection with each other and with all kinds of other people. Our stories are all interconnected. And there's great value not only in understanding our story, but understanding how our story fits in with a larger story. Uh, Pastor Dave Rhodes has this interesting metaphor. He says, our stories matter. They may be the most powerful assets and liabilities we have as human beings. But an unexamined story is a sleeping giant. Without waking it up and learning deeply from it, we miss out on a lot of power. But we also risk it rolling over onto us, he says. An unexamined story is a sleeping giant. There's great power in our stories. And yet sometimes our stories need to be told and told again or told in a fresh way. I'm reminded of the, uh, the moment where after Jesus is resurrected, he's walking on the road to Emmaus. He catches up with a couple of disciples that are talking. They've been talking all about Jesus and they don't recognize him. So they're, they're freely talking about what has happened, how Jesus died and was raised from the dead. They're trying to make sense of, of the whole story. But their understanding is just a bit off. And Jesus is asking all these questions, and finally they say, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know all these things that just happened? And Jesus responds, what things? He's kind of baiting them a little bit, you know. And this is how Luke records their response. Uh, They say to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So they're they're confused. And this is how Jesus responds. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus responds to them by telling them, a story, giving the best Sunday school lesson of all time, going through the whole story of scriptures and helping them understand how all of the Bible ultimately points to Jesus. Well, in the same manner this morning, I want us to tell a story. In fact, we're going to tell four stories, but those stories are all connected. We're going to examine the story of the Bible, the story of God's church in our world. We'll tell the story of this particular church, Trinity, and we'll explore your story finding out how each of us fits into what God is doing right here, right now. And we're going to start by looking at the story of God. We'll do that by looking at a place where the story is told. In the early days of the church in the book of Acts, which is where we'll start today, Acts chapter 6, there was a group of people that had a, had a version of the story that was a little bit different, significantly different, in fact. Just like on the, the road to Emmaus, Jesus reinterprets the story for his followers. We're going to see a moment where Stephen, one of the early disciples, helps us understand in a fresh way the story of the Bible. And just like every time we tell a story, we have a purpose. Stories are, are brought to life 
with each new retelling, and every time the story is told, it might be a little bit different. You know, you think about like a, a, a murder mystery on a, a movie or something like that, where one character is being interviewed by the detective, and they tell one version of the story a certain way, and then the next person's interviewed, and the story's slightly different angle. That's a little bit of what we're going to see uh, this morning. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen emerges as a, as a leader in the church. He's been chosen to be a deacon And that passage specifically mentions he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So he's a a mature person. He's chosen to be a leader in this particular ministry to to widows. Uh, But as is often the case, when a person steps into leadership in one area, the church quickly finds out that Stephen has some other abilities too. And so we'll see Stephen growing, doing even more ministry. Look with me, if you will, Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, full of grace and power was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, some from Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So Stephen begins to do some, some external ministry, not just caring for the, the church, these widows, but, but spreading the gospel message. And as is often the case, when a person's living into their full capabilities, other people are jealous of him, and they want to stop him. This group of, of former slaves, the freed slaves, they try to argue with him. Some Jews from Asia begin to argue. And just as Jesus promised, though, they're not able to stand against the testimony of Jesus' followers. And so because they can't argue with him and win... They decide to just get rid of him. Let's keep reading in verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. So they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So a couple of things I want to notice here. They, they accuse him of blasphemy, not just against God, but also against Moses. And, and they accuse him specifically of speaking against this place, meaning the, the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus had predicted these things uh, for the temple. He, he went in with a whip, tried to drive merchants out of the temple court, and it seems that Stephen is, is uh, teaching some of these same kinds of things. And so the point is not that, that Stephen's Jewishness was the problem. The, the problem these folks have with him is his emphasis on Christianity. He's telling the story in a way that's uncomfortable for them. He's understanding the scriptures and their culture in a way that, that challenges the status quo, the norm for them. That's what they're so distraught about. He's poking big holes in the way that they understand the story. For them, the temple is key. Moses is king. Jesus is a nobody. But let's notice how Stephen responds. The beginning of Acts chapter 7 starts this way. Are these things true? The high priest asked these accusations. Brothers and fathers, Stephen replied, listen. And he begins to tell a story. This person who's full of the Holy Spirit, who has wisdom and power and grace, uses a story to communicate the truth about Jesus. And what's so fascinating is that this story that he tells, it's the story of the Bible. It's the the shared story that he has in common with these religious leaders. He starts off talking about Abraham, their their spiritual father, how Abraham was was called out, chosen to be the father of God's special people, the Jews. You can imagine the the Pharisees are nodding along with Stephen, saying, yeah, yeah, he's right. This young man has been taught very well, right? 
But Stephen begins to tell the story from a slightly different angle. I'm not going to read the whole story today, but I will say it's a good summary of the Old Testament. You can read it on your own. But I do want to highlight some specific parts, some, some things that Stephen highlights that help point the story in a certain direction. Right away, in fact, Stephen drops just a little detail that it's easy to miss. In verse 2, he says this. He says, Brothers and fathers, he replied, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. So he makes special mention of the fact that God appeared to Abraham, not while he was in Israel, not while, but while he was in a, in a foreign land. So God is at work outside of this place, the place that was so important to these leaders. He mentions another detail about Abraham. He tells them that Abraham, he didn't get any of the land of Israel. He only got a promise for the future. That points to the reality that that God's plan for the Jews involves not just this place, but involves fulfillment of this future promise. So even as he's telling them their, their shared story, their shared history, he's telling them the story of a God who's at work all over the world and a God who keeps his promises through Jesus. He goes on to emphasize all these things God did in the nation of Egypt, again, focusing on God's work outside of Jerusalem. And in verse 20, he gets to the heart of his story. He spends a lot of time talking about Moses. He tells them Moses was God's appointed leader to lead the people out of Egypt. They could all agree on that. But then throughout the story of Moses, Stephen emphasizes something they didn't want to hear, and and maybe we don't want to hear either. He emphasized over and over how the people rejected God's chosen leader. Look at verse 25. He, talking about Moses, Moses assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Later in verse 35, he says, This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you ruler and judge? This one God sent as a ruler, as a deliverer. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, at the Red Sea, in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. So maybe you can understand what Stephen is doing here. He's drawing a line from the people's rejection of Moses to these leaders' rejection of Jesus. Both were leaders appointed by God to lead his people, and both were rejected. He even mentions this prophetic statement that's in Deuteronomy 18 where Moses declares God will raise up a a better Moses, another prophet like him. That's Jesus. And Stephen goes on to mention the story of the golden calf when people of God completely rejected Moses and God began to worship a false idol. He reminds them of the story of the burning bush, but he mentions it again in a way that highlights God coming to Moses away from the land of Israel. God is going out. He's reaching out. That's the big idea of Stephen's story here, not necessarily the angle that these Pharisees are interested in. They wanted to keep everything close, huddle up, protect themselves, protect their own interests. But Stephen understands that the gospel message must go out. God's at work there, not just in this place. Finally, Stephen's story climaxes when he turns the focus of the story right on to the Pharisees and Sadducees themselves. He says this in verse 51, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. So stiff-necked, meaning they weren't willing to, to turn aside, to shift their focus, to consider another possibility. They're resisting the work that the Holy Spirit has done in pointing people towards Jesus, the ultimate culmination of the Bible story. And Stephen is ultimately killed as a result of his courageous retelling of the story of the Bible. He's killed, but... There's a person there who's left to carry on the story. Look at verse 58. 
They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, throwing rocks at him until he died. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And after saying this, he fell asleep. So Saul of Tarsus, the young Pharisee, is there watching over the proceedings. The very next verse tells us he approves of Stephen's execution, and yet God planted a seed in Paul, Saul's mind, because he would later give his entire life over to taking the message of Jesus out towards those who needed it most, outsiders and insiders both. And the gospel keeps advancing to this day. That's the biblical story. Now let me tell you another story. In this next story, I'm not going to insult you. I'm not going to get myself killed, hopefully. But I do want to rehearse some of our shared story. As the gospel went out from Jerusalem, it uh, eventually made its way to Judea, Samaria, and continually moving towards the ends of the earth, just as Jesus said. And along the way, it went as far from Jerusalem as Massachusetts. And the Holy Spirit there caught the attention of a man named Samuel Parker. He became a pastor. Eventually, he headed to the then newly explored territory of the Pacific Northwest. And as he traveled, he brought along a young man named Marcus Whitman. Parker shared the story of some Native Americans asking these white visitors for spiritual guidance. Well, this plea for spiritual help piqued the attention and interest of another young person, a woman named Narcissa Prentice. She developed a heart for spreading the gospel, for going out. She got married to Marcus Whitman, and they headed to the Oregon Territory. Now, I won't share the entire story of Marcus and Narcissa Whitman. I'm sure we know most of the details. And And while we can look with hindsight and maybe critique their methods and even some of their results, the fact is they were concerned with the forward advance of the gospel. They sacrificed everything for the sake of the gospel. This same land that we inhabit was first infused with the gospel by the Whitmans and other missionaries. So in a sense, a part of our story, a part of the the Walla Walla Valley story involves mission work, the relentless advance of the gospel. Just like the story of the Bible that Stephen tells, God is concerned with his people advancing the gospel. Our story must be told, and when it's told, it must involve gospel advance, progress in the gospel. The Walla Walla Valley will never be able to escape that part of our story, no matter how hard some people try. So that's part of our story. And if we fast forward quite a bit, we get to the 1940s and 50s, this era after World War II, Modernism and and modernist thinking had gripped the world. People began to see everything through the lens of of the rational. I mean, everybody knows miraculous things don't happen in our world today, and yet this, this book is full of miraculous stuff. So as people began to try to make sense of of God and the Bible in light of all the terrible things they had seen in two world wars, then the truth of the Bible began to be in real question for people. Influential scholars began to reject the truth of Scripture, began to teach new ways of understanding the world. Even within the church, these false ideas began to take root. But since the very beginning, part of the story has been the relentless advance of the gospel, and there were many who resisted this new false teaching, this false story of a Bible that's not worth the paper it's printed on. And these brave folks continued to send out missionaries, continued to do their part in the Great Commission, continued the advance of the gospel, and they needed to know that the folks back home who were supporting these missionary efforts had the right perspective, the right doctrine. They needed to point to the truth of the gospel, protect it, so that the news that people were hearing was right and true. 
1947, a group of concerned churches broke off from fellow Baptists to form a new organization, a new association. They called the Conservative Baptist Association. And it started with the goal of upholding the truth of the Bible and, and the gospel. And just in case you don't know, Trinity is a conservative Baptist church. We're connected to that larger association. And like these days, I mean, nobody cares about denominations and all those kinds of things. People just want to know the music's not too loud or too boring or whatever. But hard as it is to believe, there's like things at stake here. You know, church is not all about us and our preferences. It's good that you're sitting down to hear that. But, but so these folks made a, a difficult decision to break away from that, that false teaching and thinking. And this church, Trinity, associated itself with the Conservative Baptist. Trinity was founded in 1954, just as this organization was kind of hitting its stride. And so we're a church that stands on the truth of God's Word, and a church that stands on the relentless advance of the gospel. That's part of our story. Now, what you might not know is that before the CB was formed, five years before these churches uh, formed this organization, they formed a missionary organization. It uh, It used to be called the Conservative Baptist Foreign Mission Society, now it's the much easier to say world venture. And I just think it's really fascinating. I think it's a, it's a critical part of our story that this whole movement, this whole branch of church that we're a part of was started not just with local churches worried about themselves, but with uh, not just protecting their own interests, but it was started because well-meaning churches were concerned about the relentless spread of the gospel. They wanted the message that was going out to be right and true and trustworthy words of God. So they cared for others first, before they cared for themselves. That's our story, and it should continue to be. I want to share a couple of notable thoughts from the Conservative Baptist Association. Just like Stephen pulling areas of emphasis from the Bible story, I want us to understand some some overlooked parts of our story. The the mission of the Conservative Baptist Association is very simple, but, but, but pretty profound. Their desire is to champion the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's their mission. Jesus' Great Commission tells us to go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so his, his commission to all of us involves evangelism, going. It's centered on that command to make disciples. Like we talked a little bit about last week, there's a difference between only being a disciple and making disciples. Jesus commands us to make disciples. And Jesus tells us to, to baptize and to teach all that he's commanded That's part of the reason we have trust in the Bible. We have to know what Jesus taught before we can pass it on to others. The records of Jesus are faithfully recorded. They're accurately represented in the Bible. The CB goes on to say, Our missional movement must be shaped by the truth and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it has to be centered around the truth as revealed in God's word, and that message of truth is wrapped in grace, grace for everyone. Another statement from the CB clarifies this balance of grace and truth. They say this, Our conviction is we must be bold in engaging our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ with a humility that we too need to be transformed by that same gospel message. The gospel applied to all of life will lead us to loving God and loving our neighbor, including caring for the least of these. We're committed to an expanding gospel movement through empowering local church leaders and churches to advance the gospel in their communities. So our story involves being champions of the Great Commission, making disciples the relentless advance of the truth of the gospel, carried on the back of grace and humility. In the same way that Stephen tried to convince the Pharisees and Sadducees that the work of God was not all about them, 
We have to understand the work of God is not all about us. From the Whitmans, the first gospel presence in this valley, to the formation of the Conservative Baptist Association, dedicated to carrying the truth of the gospel on the back of grace out into the whole world, the relentless advance of the truth of the gospel. There's one more element of our story I want to highlight from the the CB Association. One of the things they talk about is being an either-or church or a both-and church. Let me explain. Uh, we've talked all morning about going out, about sending missionaries, about the advance of the gospel, but, but no church can be engaged in that kind of work unless it's internally sound. Just like the, the modernists in the post-war era, if the foundation crumbles, everything else is lost. Every church has to focus on strengthening itself and on the relentless advance of the gospel. So when we say an either-or church versus a both-and, hopefully you begin to understand. Many churches, far too many, focus on themselves at the expense of gospel advance. Their programs, their emphasis, their budget is all internal. The energy of the church just goes to care for itself. That's either-or. But for us, we want to be both-and, both strengthening disciples here and advancing the gospel out beyond these doors in our valley and all around the world. The CB says it this way, Acts, the book of Acts, is the story of the gospel creating believers, believers forming community, elders raised and established, these churches proclaiming the gospel to create more believers and more churches. The apostles and others also return to strengthen and challenge the established churches toward practical, doctrinal, and missional obedience. We share that same passion. Are you an either-or church or a both-and church? So our story becomes fuller and fuller, more nuanced. We stand for truth, but it's wrapped in grace. We stand for the relentless advance of the gospel, yet we don't lose sight of strengthening our own disciples here, both and. One more inspiring piece of our story I want to share. This is from the the Northwest branch of the CB, the the association we're most closely associated to or connected to. They have a great, uh, awesome way to think about our story, think about our purpose. They call it C3. There's three C statements that are at the core of a healthy church. The first, they say, is great commandment love. The great commandment is a command from Jesus. Somebody asked Jesus directly, what's the greatest commandment from God? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So you get a bonus commandment there from Jesus, two for one deal. But this, this first C, great commandment, love, it speaks to the, to the inner life of us as believers, how that love shows up. Loving God first and foremost, letting that love show up in our relationship. So it's, it's both and for the individual follower of Jesus. That's the first C, great commandment, love. They talk also about great commission purpose. Great commandment love flows out into great commission purpose. We talked already about the great commission, that that commission from Jesus to relentlessly advance the gospel in truth and grace. It starts from this place of loving God wholeheartedly, and it shows up as taking his command seriously, especially his command to make disciples. That's our primary purpose as individuals, as a church. That's the heart of our story, great commission purpose. The third C, something we might not be quite as familiar with, the third C is great confession dependency. A dependence on what we call the great confession. Matthew 16, Jesus, he's alone with his disciples. They've heard him teach and they've seen him do miraculous things and now it's time for a real heart check. 
He gets the disciples out alone and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers with what we call the great confession. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, confessing the truth about Jesus. And for us, that third C, dependency, is dependency on the reality that it's not by our own power or skill or wits that we go and relentlessly advance the gospel. It's not by clever strategies and programs that we strengthen the church. It's only by the power and the grace of the resurrected Lord Jesus and his Holy Spirit that we're able to be world changers. We're dependent on him completely. Everything rises and falls on our own dependency on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So our story involves standing firm on the truth of the Word of God, strengthening our church, growing in dependency, so that we can live out our purpose, the relentless spread of the truth of the gospel. And that leads us to the story of our own church, Trinity. Again, I won't rehash all of our story, but I will tell you some of it. Started in 1954, a group of people gathered to strengthen themselves, to commit to God's Word, the truth of it. But they strengthened themselves for a purpose, the relentless spread of the gospel. They added more and more people. Eventually, they outgrew the basement on Egan Street where they met. Over time, they continued to grow, to reach out, make disciples. They purchased property that allowed them to keep growing, to keep reaching out. I don't have time to tell you about all the creative ways they engaged the community, but I can tell you that their focus was on the relentless spread of the gospel. In 1959, they made a fortuitous and providential decision to purchase four acres of land on the south edge of town, advancing the gospel outward, not just taking care of themselves, but focusing their attention on the relentless spread of the truth of the gospel. Of course, many of you know, these are the four acres they bought. Originally, they built here in the 1970s, and it's been expanded not once but twice, two different phases of what we call growing for his glory. We expanded the building to reach more students and children. That positioned us also to support a Spanish language ministry. Uh, In fact, we took on significant ministry at Blue Ridge Elementary in part because it's the intersection of Spanish-speaking population and children, a very strategic opportunity there. A strategic chance for us to advance the gospel. But the whole purpose of this facility was to facilitate the strengthening of the church and the advance of the gospel. And I just want to share one paragraph that comes from this original publication about growing for his glory. Some of you maybe recognize this. Some of you have aged a little bit from these photos. Part of the challenge to begin that project, we said this. We said, uh, where is it? Whenever Jesus wanted to see his disciples grow, he led them to the limits of their ability and then asked them to step out in faith and trust him. When they obeyed, they grew, and Jesus got the glory. Even in that, you can hear both and, a focus on strengthening disciples, strengthening the church, and advancing the gospel outward. You hear that great confession dependency. Another place where you can see these values played out is simply in our own mission statement. Moved by passion for God and compassion for people, we seek to meet people where they are and help them take the next steps to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. It's on the front of your worship folder every single week. That's our driving focus. That's our story, meeting people where they are. That means going out, not just caring for our own self-interest, but going out, meeting people. And as you go, you're making disciples, meeting people with the grace and truth of the gospel. That's what our church has always been about, and that's what we want to continue to be about. So we've looked at the story of the Bible, 
the story of the gospel in this valley, the story of our own church, there's one more story to be told, the story of you. And boy, if we had the time, it'd be amazing to, to, to go around and hear each of us our own stories of our own faith journeys. But what I want us to focus on is how our own individual faith journeys fit within the story we've been telling today, the story of the relentless advance of the truth of the gospel. So you may not know anything about conservative Baptists. You may not know anything about all the missions history we've talked about. You may not know anything about our own mission statement here at Trinity. Focus on meeting people where they are, helping them take next steps to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. But if you're here, you're a part of that story. You have a role to play. Each and every one of us has been given a unique role in the story that God is writing right here at Trinity and right here in Walla Walla. And just as Stephen challenged the Pharisees and Sadducees of his day not to make God's work all about them, their comfort and security, we also have been challenged. None of us here is a bystander. We're all recipients of God's grace in one way or another. We all benefit from the gospel. But at the same time, we are all disciple makers. We're all being challenged to live out the great commandment love that shows up as great commission purpose with great confession dependency. We're all part of that story. We're all part of this both-and church that meets people where they are, carrying the message of truth on the back of grace. And we're all part of a church that helps people take next steps to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. So I want to leave us with some next steps for each of us, steps we can take and that we can help others take. One of the first and best next steps anybody could take is a step of baptism. You'll hear more about baptism a little bit later this morning, but baptism is a public declaration of your own faith journey. Baptism is a chance for you to go public with your faith. Once you become a believer in Jesus, once you've made a decision to put your faith in Him, baptism is a step of obedience, sharing with others what God has done for you, following in Jesus' footsteps. Jesus Himself was baptized as an act of obedience to God, and He commissioned each one of us to do the same, making disciples, baptizing people, so if you've been at Trinity for a while, you know we, every year we devote an entire Sunday morning to baptisms coming at the beginning of April here. We're going to have a baptism service, a, a chance for anybody who's never taken that step to do it, to be baptized. So if you've never experienced a baptism service here before, man, it's a, a wonderful thing to experience, wonderful thing to be a part of. If you've never been baptized, that's a great next step for you, a step that fully aligns you to the story that God is writing right here. We've got a baptism class coming up soon, March 15th. And you can come to that class, find out what it's all about, get your questions answered. The class is not a commitment. We're not going to get you wet on the 15th. You can wait. So let me just encourage you. If you're scared by the idea of baptism, just come to the class. Just learn about it. Mark your connection card. You can come to the class. I mean, everybody's scared of baptism. If you're not scared, I'd be worried about you. You know, I put my own baptism off for a long, long time. So I get it. It's a big deal. But baptism is a great next step you can take. And maybe, maybe you're not in a place where you're ready to be baptized. Maybe you're not even a Jesus follower. Uh, but that's a step you can take. Seeing God's hand at work all over the world maybe makes you want to be a part of this story. You can do that simply by putting your own faith in Jesus, writing a new chapter to your own story, a chapter that's going to take your story in an amazing new direction. Maybe for you, simply believing in Jesus is your next step. Another next step for some of us, membership. If you're here, you're part of the story God's writing, and you should commit to be part of the future that God has for Trinity, the advance of the gospel here in Walla Walla. You should commit to membership. And, and like baptism, a lot of folks nervous about church membership. People don't understand it, don't understand why it's important. But, but there's a difference between being a, a bystander here and being a member. 
membership is, is partnership. You're, you're fully invested into what God is doing here. Joining in with God and with the rest of us to see the gospel advance in this valley. So if you're not a member, mark your connection card and, and one of our elders will reach out to you. We'd love to talk to you about that. But maybe you're a person who's taken all those kinds of steps already. You've been baptized. You're a member. What should you be focused on this morning? What's your next step? Well, if that's you, my challenge to you is simply to fully engage into what God wants to do here. Don't just focus on your own comfort and security. Focus instead on the relentless advance of the truth of the gospel. What are you doing to keep writing your own story? A story that's in line with what God has done from the beginning of the scriptures. A story of meeting people where they are, not waiting for them to come to you, going to them. What are you doing to help other people write their own faith stories? Are you living with boldness the way Stephen did? Are you full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, giving your very life to see gospel advance? Maybe God's calling you to a life of missions, taking the gospel out. Maybe you sense that God is at work out there. You might not know this, but before I came to Trinity, my wife and I, we were preparing to serve the Lord overseas. I first learned about the conservative Baptists through my engagement with World Venture. That was the organization we were going with before I ever came to this church. So maybe your vision's like that, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not so far away. Maybe for you, your mission is right here, your neighborhood, your workplace. Maybe you can advance the gospel right where you are, your school. A lot of you have uh, opportunity to reach people I'll never reach. You've got an opportunity to strengthen people I'll never be able to. God uses each and every one of us. We're all a part of the story. We're all partners in the work of relentlessly advancing the truth of the gospel. Started out our time with this, this quote from Dave Rhodes. He says, Our stories matter. They may be the most powerful assets and liabilities we have as human beings. But an unexamined story is a sleeping giant. Without waking it up and learning deeply from it, we miss out on a lot of power. We miss out on the power of the gospel, the power it has in our own lives, and the power it has in our world. Let's partner with God and with each other to keep writing the story. Will you pray with me? God, our desire is to see the gospel spread. Our desire is to see not just the the work that you have done stop with us, but continue on through us. We want to be channels of grace, channels of truth. We thank you for your word that is dependable, that is trustworthy, that guides us in every aspect of our lives, and pray that you would just continue to strengthen our church through that. And as you strengthen us, we want to be a a both-and kind of a church, strengthening ourselves so that we can fulfill that great commission purpose of making disciples. And we pray that you would give us what we need to do that. Give us boldness like Stephen. Give us courage to answer the call that you've given us. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.